Welcome to Kid Tech, the show that goes behind the scenes with the people who are shaping the kids' digital media landscape. Today, um, today I feel as if we've got a legend on the show. Um, so we have Seema Sargami, who's the former president of Nickelodeon. Um, uh, it, it's a real honor to have you on the show. Um, welcome. Thank you, Dylan. You're very kind. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, I, I think I'd love to go into a bit of background for all of our listeners. I mean, you, you know, you have been synonymous with Nickelodeon for, um, you know, some of its most transformational time. But maybe could you sort of run people through like all of your career, um, you know, up, up to now so people can really have the context? Sure. I, you know, I grew up at Nickelodeon, basically. Um, I got to uh, MTV Networks, which it was then owned by Warner Amex in the late 80s. And there were about 20 people that worked at Nickelodeon. And we started making original content probably two years after I got there. I came in as a lowly clerk in the programming department. Um, and I like to tell young people, you know, if you find a place that you, uh, the product you like, the people you like, and the company is good, then you've hit a home run. And I felt like that's what happened to me. And so that was really great. I learned an incredible amount. I was a programmer at heart. I love the intersection between the data, the qualitative information and the competitive landscape. And it was the combination of those things that, you know, sort of helped me do my job for years and years and probably still to this day. Those are the three things that are most important to knowing how to move forward. Um, and I learned uh, each part of the business sort of, you know, in, in different increments. So I like to say I got an MBA in programming first then I got an MBA in marketing. Then I got a you know live MBA in consumer products. Uh, we worked in the movie business. So each part of the industry, I got to sort of like watch Nickelodeon enter and help grow through. So I feel like I know a ton about the kids business and I know a ton about the industry because of my experience there. I stayed for 33 years. Um, I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, and I'm passionate about the kids audience, which is why I'm still in it. I mean, it's a hell of a career. And, you know, when you think about just how much change the kids' media landscape went through during that time, um, I mean, I mean, it must have felt like a real whirlwind. Um, like, when you think about the kids' content landscape today and, and you look at how kids are, are consuming and engaging, you know, video and games and um you know all forms of audio do you feel that the fundamentals have changed like if, if you were to go back in time like 25 years to, to nickelodeon of yore do you feel today is recognizable like are, are the principles the same well so much has changed i mean you know and you've been such a big part of that change the you know, the technology has moved so quickly in the past 10 years. So it's hard to go back to the early days of Nickelodeon because we were breaking ground almost the same way that tech is breaking ground today, right? We took, we took over, um, you know, network, we bumped network 
kids programming out of the way. We bumped syndication out of the way. You know, USA Today used to have a whole kids block in the afternoon. And so, so we were breaking new ground similar to the way that, you know, sort of like tech and digital are breaking ground today. So it's hard to say uh, it would have been different. I mean, could we have imagined, you know, YouTube and then TikTok, right? Xbox and then PCs and Discord and then, um, you know, Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus, Peacock. I mean, there was no way to predict what was going to happen. I mean, five years ago, yes. 15 years ago, no. <laughs> so I think that the biggest change at the moment is the role that um, interactivity, community, and you know, sort of like the intimacy of the experience that kids are having with content is really what's most significantly changing. Um, I think they still love, you know, they still love the good stuff, which is, you know, refreshing and um, typical of the kid audience. Mm. So you don't think that, you know, when you look at all the short form platforms and all of the user generated content that is that is sort of driving a lot of consumption you still feel that quality wins in the kids world i think that kids have an incredible appetite for all forms of content and i think all of those things that you just mentioned are incredible you know sort of potential sources for you know the 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 few that are going to float to the top and last for the longest are really, I think that part hasn't changed. So even today, right in, in the gaming world, there are a few that have floated to the top and they're lasting for a really long time. Mm. And I don't think that's so different than, than the longevity of, you know, some of the, you know, sort of quote unquote, big franchises of the past. I think it's, you know, sort of like different, different formats, different, um, deliverable deliveries and, you know, different sources. But I do think that still to this, you know, in the grown-up world too, the good stuff floats to the top and lasts for a long time. Mm. Were you, um, were you surprised, or are you still surprised perhaps that like, you know, we talked about digital and we talked about technology, but were you surprised that, that, that some of the biggest technology companies were so relatively slow in the kid space? And, or do you even disagree with that? Or do you even agree with that statement? I mean, Well, I, I think that the, the business model for a lot of the big companies is a little bit different. Um, so I think, you know, for many of the streaming services, subscription, you know, is paramount. So how do you get subscribers to stay with you. And I think that a lot of people are discovering that kids are going to be a really important way to do that. Um, I think, you know, for people like Netflix is primarily in the, in the content business. Amazon is not in the prime, primarily in the content business. Apple's not primarily in the content business. So they might be moving slowly, but it's not because they don't care about kids. It's because it's not their, you know, it's not their core competency or their core business. Mm. Um, I think that kids are at this particular moment in time becoming really, really important to everybody. And, and, and people are really starting to understand the, the value of, you know, sort of the emotional connection that kids are going to have to maintain, right, sort of a relationship into the future. Mm. Do, you, do you feel that that is a, 
sort of a new revelation, I suppose, particularly for a lot of the, the newer digital platforms, the newer streaming platforms, that kids are so important and are, are, are increasing in importance in terms of their, their influence in the home. Or is, is that a kind of a cyclical thing? Like, had you seen that before play out, you know, in, in, in sort of earlier Nickelodeon years? Yes, I think it's, you know, it's still early days. So um, what, what I think people are discovering is the brand relationship for the family is going to be one of the keys to, you know, sort of like maintaining your position in the household. And that is, again, full circle, right? And I do also think that one of the things that's becoming really interesting is <clears throat> coming out of the pandemic year, it's going to be really um, interesting to watch how some of the behaviors that came from linear are going to influence the behaviors in the relationship with streamers. So let's see what happens with live television. Let's see what happens with event television um, or event programming rather than television. But I do think that there, there, there are some things that came from the past that are going to influence the future. Mm. And that's going to be, a, you know, that will be cyclical the same as it was, you know, even back in the early 90s. The choice is the thing that is the biggest, you know, sort of like the biggest change, the amount of uh, the amount of content out there and the sources for that content. Um, so it is harder for kids to find what they love, but there is so many more places to, you know, identify great content from and, and, you know, sort of content home user generated content is really one of the most exciting places. When um, one of the, I, I've, I've never actually said this out loud, but um, I've always been an enormous Nickelodeon business fanboy. Um, you know, when we, when we were starting Super Awesome, I think we really studied so much of the Nickelodeon model, you know, because it just felt like you were, you were able to verticalize so much of the industry. I mean, Nickelodeon, you know, almost was an ecosystem unto itself, you know, combining, you know, content and distribution and merchandising and advertising and everything else. And um, when, when you see companies like, Pocket Watch and Moonbug, and, and there's there's a couple of others in that category. Do you feel like they are the next the next generation of Nickelodeon, or, or or the same model as Nickelodeon, or do you feel they're something different? Well, I think at the moment, you know, the the similarity is with the idea that they are content creators, and you know, using you know more than one of the tools to connect with the audience. But Nickelodeon was both a content creator and a branded home for content. And I don't necessarily, I think we haven't seen sort of like the next iteration of that yet. I do think that, you know, YouTube has its own ecosystem obviously, um, and is, you know, sort of paying attention to sort of like building that out. And I think that, Roblox obviously is its own ecosystem, but uh, I, I don't know. I think that there's so many different ways to go at it, but I think Nickelodeon was unique in that it was both a you know, content creator and a really strong brand 
that represented all of the content that lived there. And I, I don't, it's too early to tell if there, if either one of those will be that. Um, interesting. You mentioned Roblox there, which I, I, I'd love to kind of get your, your slightly deeper perspective on. Like, you know, Roblox is an interesting combination of, um, I suppose, passive and active content consumption. You know, kids are developing and, and building their own games and distributing them in the Roblox environment and, and many, many others are playing them. Like when you, and, and it's it's gaming driven more so than video. Um, like, do you think that, again, from I suppose a kid's entertainment and kid's content perspective, that Roblox is something new? Do you think we're gonna like, or do, do you think Roblox is a one-off or are we going to see more Roblox-like platforms? Uh, you know, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, Roblox has withstood the test of time, right? Cause I, I don't know how old it is exactly, but it's been around for, for a bit. And so it's been able to sort of like evolve and expand its own ecosystem which I think is incredibly exciting. And it has really figured out a unique um, sort of like role in the marketing world, which I'm not sure we're gonna see that, you know, again, in the way that it is. It, it's really, it's a fabulous intersection of sort of gaming content and marketing um, that, you know, may be like the, the first and the best, and I'm not sure it's gonna be able to be replicated, but it is, you know, it's something. But I think that the personalization is what is creating so much of the engagement. And I think that's a lesson to take into the future. Mm. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about streaming platforms. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier about how important kids content is for, for all of the streaming platforms from a, uh, from a subscription retention point of view. Um, and Netflix just announced a toy licensing deal for one of its IPs. Do you think we're going to see the streaming platforms go much, much deeper into kids' engagement? I mean, beyond just content. Um, like, you know, is, is, is that Netflix move a test or is it a strategy? Or, or how do you think that world evolves over the next few years? I still strongly believe that the the sort of quote unquote consumer products business is driven by, by the consumer and not the you know sort of like the the platform or the creators. So if the consumer demands it, then you know any one of the streaming services could be the you know sort of like the the next you know sort of like Paw Patrol. Um, but it has to come. I don't think. Again, my, my entire experience at Nickelodeon was you cannot force a hit, right? So the consumer has to love something so much that they want to wear it on their backpacks. And <clears throat> I don't think uh, that there is, um, the, the Netflix model is, right, two or three episodes unless the audience really demands more. We haven't seen that happen yet but I'm hoping that, you know, something will emerge from somewhere. That's the way it always was. Um, and I think that that's still true. 
So I, I think it would be great if, uh, if they can prove that it works, but I do think that it has to be driven by the consumer. Interesting. Well, time is clearly going to tell um, there, but it's it's certainly fascinating to see all of these, you know, giant streamers focusing on kids so much. Um, speaking of, I would love to talk about what you're doing next. Um, can you talk about the, the current venture? Sure. It's called... Uh... Mimo Studios. It's a female-owned and operated company. We're working on content for kids under 11, animated and live action. And, you know, first and foremost, we're content people. So I feel like we're, you know, sort of like hunting down what we think is going to be the best content for kids. You know, the biggest challenge is going to be, um, you know, sort of the the delivery, the platform and the delivery. And so what role, you know, digital and, and tech have in the future is hard to imagine what, what, how, what role we can play today. Um, I do think that there is a different way to deliver franchises into the kids ecosystem. And I think there's a different set of tools that we're looking at. And I do think that coming out of the pandemic, there's a whole new you know, set of sort of like emotional fundamentals that need to go into delivering great content for kids. Mm. I think that uh, you know, we, we are focusing on um, IP that you know, sort of can, can come from anywhere and can live any, anywhere. But we are starting with the idea that a development model should be sort of fully executed in TV-sized movies to begin with so that we can see where else it can go. So that's sort of the way that we've begun. We've only been at it for a year. I'm very excited about the, you know, the IP that is available in the creative community. Diversity is incredibly important today, and so we're really laser-focused on that. Um, and you know, I'm a firm believer of what gets measured gets done. So I think if you say you're going to sort of be in the diverse content you know, ecosystem, then you have to really commit to it. But again, we're just getting started. I'm very excited about developing IP. It's a different part of the business for me and I'm flexing a different part of my brain. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. And do you, like, I mean, you, you presumably would have been adjacent to all of that in Nickelodeon as well. I mean, do you notice a difference in, in how, you know, creators and, and, and IP owners and IP developers are thinking you know, today in, in 2021 versus like three or four or five years ago? I think I think it's not so different, right? I, if you're paying attention to what's going on in kids' lives, then there are nuances and subtle differences in the way that content's going to come to life. But I think that great stories and great characters um, with, you know, a strong voice and certainly, you know, sort of a diverse voice are the still the, the main ingredients of great stuff. And so it is really, it's very liberating for me to be able to concentrate on just a couple of things <laughs> at a time, as opposed to, you know, sort of like how all the pieces are gonna fit together. And one of the great things about Nickelodeon was we really did concentrate on how to make all the pieces fit together, which is why when you say like the verticalization of Nickelodeon, was unique, it's because we literally built it 
you know, sort of like one piece at a time so that all of them connected. Um, and so I'm looking for great partners who understand that like as the great piece, as all the pieces fit together, that is how you build, you know, sort of like a great uh, franchise for the future. Um, you mentioned the, the COVID impact of content on, on kids and um, I suppose the emotional response to content. I mean, have you noticed anything in, in the kind of content that is being developed or, or how kids are responding um, to different types of content? Because, you know, the last 12 months has been such a unique, weird, strange, terrible, awful time um, that it's clearly having an impact. I, I wonder, is it, is it too soon to sort of observe any of that through, through what you're doing? Well, we're, you know, we, we are committed to, you know, sort of like understanding the kid audience. We're starting to do some research in the, in the field and we're reading all of the things that, you know, even, even the stuff that you guys are publishing, which is, is, you know, really great. I think, I, I think that the things we are going to see are a new set of, you know, sort of measures, right? Community is really important. Um, kindness is being, is really important. Uh, curriculum is really important. Diversity is really important. All of the things that have, you know, sort of like bubbled up over the past year are the things that are going to inform the content that's coming out next. Mm. And I do believe that um, escapism and, you know, sort of what I would call lean back TV is actually having a, you know, a, a, a moment right now only because there is so much heavy stuff happening in kids' lives. And I think parents understand it too. So the, the parent and kid relationship is a different relationship because of the pandemic. And I think that the, the need to, you know, sort of be together and escape is way more important than it's ever been. And so I think that those two things together are just gonna change the, the, you know, sort of like the fundamentals of the content that we see. So you, I mean, I would sort of describe you as a, a kids media mogul. Um, and I, I, I wonder like how you, you know, having, having sort of, you know, operated at, at the, the, the very, very large scale and now with your own startup, like, do you think the future of, of kids media is going to be lots and lots of smaller media companies or, or are we going to see the inevitable media roll up? you know, that we saw across kind of the 90s and the, and the 2000s, will it be different? I think it's, it's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen, but I, I think that for a time, we'll see both. And it does feel like the, the, the kids' ecosystem will emerge, and whether it's like a different version of the same, you know, two or three, or it's, you know, sort of like one home that creates a giant ecosystem, it's, it's a little bit early to tell. I think that the, the brand that decides it cares the most about the kid audience stands the best chance. And, um, you know, and I don't think we know who that is quite yet. And I think that by, you know, sort of the dust is gonna settle um, on the new paradigm a little. I think that, as I said before, consumers will gravitate to some of the familiar things that they used to love in on linear that are transitioning to streaming. Um, and I think that, um, right, 
the content brands will start to be more firmly established in the consumer's minds. So what do they all stand for is yet to be seen by the consumer. And that's going to make a difference in how they make their choices. Mm. And again, that's history repeating itself a little bit too, right? Right, 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 right. Um, one last Nickelodeon question. Like when you look back, and I suppose you you sort of look around you today, like w- was there any particular thing that you didn't accomplish in Nickelodeon or or that Nickelodeon didn't get done that you would like to have achieved? I, I suppose just kind of looking around at today's ecosystem. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough question. You know, um, I would say probably everybody who was in the linear business wished they had gotten you know, sort of like faster, deeper, and, you know, sort of more ready for what was to come. And it it was predictable to some extent. And so could could all of the quote unquote traditional media companies, you know, sort of readied themselves better for for what happened next so that, you know, Nickelodeon could have been a, you know, sort of like a more more stronger positioned in in what's happening today sure i I think anybody who was in the business when i was in that business would say the same thing um yeah it clearly change was coming and clearly the challenges of the you know sort of like the old business and the new business they they're overwhelming so i think that it was you know, probably we should have been ready sooner. <laughs> That's all. Well, hindsight is an easy thing, right? <laughs> um, yeah, no. But I, but I, but at the end of, but at the end of the day, you know, big fat hits are big fat hits, and you know that that, that will be one of the measures going forward. Sort of like where 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 is the next big fat hit going to come from? Because we've seen it so many times in the adult space, we haven't seen it recently in the kids space. So waiting, yeah. waiting for big fat hits that can withstand the test of time. Right, right, right. Um, final question. So in this season, um, we're asking everyone who comes on the show to make some kind of industry prediction for 2022, for next year specifically. Um, so Seema, what do you think? What do what, what the next 12 months hold? It's a particularly hard question because of the pandemic, right? So as I said, I think that the, the dust is going to settle a little bit on the new landscape, particularly for kids. I think a lot of the, I think live and event television is going to take on a, you know, sort of like a whole new meaning, especially coming out of the pandemic and, and figuring out how that's going to work. It's going to be interesting to see the streaming services promoting events day and date, but they're going to have, but they will. Um, And how that works is going to be really interesting. And then I think that the, you know, the, the definition or the, the, uh, what the brand, the content brands stand for, I think will start to become crystal clear in 2022. Very interesting predictions. Seema Zargami, founder and CEO of Mimo Studios. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on Kid Tech. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Talk to you soon, Dylan.